0: it is cool uh, to be in a little different place today. I don't know about you, but uh, it's a little a tad bit different. Sitting out in the uh, congregation, being able to worship my, with my family, which is honestly the f- uh, few times I get the opportunity to do that since I've been at Eastwood, and it was really kind of neat. So thank you for that. I do want to thank all of y'all who wore hoodies in solidarity with me today. Me giving some of you, especially you students, a reason to not have to dress up for big church today. So uh, you're welcome in that regard. I don't wanna. It is not. You have been seen, this morning, for sure. If you have your Bible, we're in James chapter two. We're gonna pick up where we left off just a few weeks ago, or a couple weeks ago, I guess. James chapter two. I will say this too. I wanna thank, I thank Jake for leading this morning. Um, Many of y'all, yeah, he, great job. Thank you, Jake. And for the whole, the whole praise team, um, we, we've got some really great people, y'all. And uh, so grateful for Devin and for Tim and for Justin and for Evan. And we've got a couple people who are out as well. We've got a great group of people who can come and lead every week. So let me tell you a little bit of a story about that uh, this week. So uh, Phil Guest was originally supposed to lead this morning, but Phil um, called me on Friday and said that uh, he has COVID and wasn't going to be here. And we were grateful that Phil did not come and sing over all of us with COVID uh, this morning, so Phil, if you're uh, watching on our live stream this morning, uh, we're praying for you and hope you get better. So I called Jake on Friday. on on his He's coming back from the beach. I called Jake on Friday um, after Phil had called me and I said, "Hey man, would you be willing to lead this uh, lead worship this morning?" He's like, "Man, I've got your back." And I was like, "This is going to be awesome." And so uh, we actually came up with songs and got the song list together after we've already had one song list. And then all of a sudden, uh, last night I'm uploading the new song so the praise team could come and, and have a little bit of time to to prep for that. And they came this morning and, and, uh, I just were able to, uh, really just be able to lead us in worship. And I'm just super, super grateful that, um, we can make a phone call. Although I will say this, I was a little bit nervous this morning that, um, since Jake was coming back from the beach, that he was going to give me a call this morning and say, Hey man, I've got COVID as well. And then it'd have been the will show doing it all. So it'd been crazy. So I'm grateful for, um, uh, for just the opportunity and the people that we have, uh, that serves so faithfully every single week. So James chapter 2 is where we begin. This morning and picking up from the last couple of weeks, so we have been talking about, been working through the book of James, and we, so we're working on James chapter 2, going to pick up there. Um, but we have to, before we get even into James chapter 2, we have to think about where we've been a little bit prior to getting into this particular chapter. And so just go back just a couple of verses, going back to the week before, um, or two weeks ago um, in, in the previous sermons um, for this series, one of the things that we looked at was we talked about that, that genuine faith, genuine Christian faith, that if we are to be genuine Christians and to act as believers and to act uh, in a way in which we follow what it is that we say we believe, that we have to be governed by the word. And so James here says in verse 26 and 27 of, of chapter 1, so just go back just a couple of verses there. He says if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled. Before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. And so here, James gives us. What it means to be governed by the word. First of all, that we have to be, number one, we have to be self controlled in speech. We talked about this two weeks ago. Number two, that he cares for the needy, that Christians care for the needy. And number three, that we remain unstained from the world. So, James here gives us an outline of what's going to happen over the next three weeks on where we're going to be working through James chapter two. He doesn't necessarily work through it himself in any particular order. As a matter of fact, this morning he actually talks about and and he begins to work through what it means to care for the needy. And he gives us an example of this in chapter 2. So when we talk about having a genuine faith, what does it mean to have a genuine faith? He says in verse 27 to take care of the needy. And so James challenges the church to care for the needy in a simple and tangible way. So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 2. If you'll stand with me as we read James chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. (laughs) James here says this, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as, as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, While you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or you sit down here at my feet, have you not then made the distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my brothers, my beloved brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man, are not the rich ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scriptures, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law of transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is become guilty of it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do murder, have you, become, uh, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we get to dive into it. We pray, God, that, um, Lord, that your word would work in our hearts, Lord, for our good, and for your glory. May we be transformed, and may your Holy Spirit be working within us this morning. We love you, and we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So how is it that the church can care for the needy? Well, James here tells us that one of the easiest ways that we can do it is just an example, he says there's a lot of ways we can do it, but the example that James gives us here is that we are to show no partiality or favoritism To anyone, so the Bible here tells us that genuine faith shows no partiality, no partiality. Take a look in verse one. Well, let's take a look. So the first thing, if, if we see people the way that God sees people, then we won't discriminate based on externals. So if we see People the way God sees them, we will not discriminate based on externals. Take a look at verse in verse one of chapter two. He says, "My brothers, this is brethren, this is the church. He is not just talking about um, his, his brother or somebody close to him he 's talking about a universe this is, this is for each and every one of us. this is universe, this is the church he 's talking about brethren, men and women who are sitting underneath this particular te- teaching. He says, "My brothers, show no partiality." As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, show no pers- uh, show no partiality. It's simply no respecter of persons. He said, and he gives us this example coming up in just a second here. He says here that we, if if somebody comes in and they have nice clothing, and we treat them differently, and we have them sit here, or when somebody comes in with different clothing, he says you set them over here in a lesser um, lesser area, whether it's at your feet or in the back on the wall. And we, 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 begin, we begin to treat people differently by the way that they look with their external appearances. This word here for partiality, it simply means the acts of partiality. Showing this is a broad spectrum of applications. It's not just clothing. It's, just, it's about everything. How is it that we treat people? Are we more partial to certain people than others based on external appearances? The word literally means to receive the face, to make judgments about people based on their external appearance. In other words, James here is saying that discriminating against people is inconsistent with genuine faith in Christ. Now, remember, James is one of my favorite books. James is a, is a great book, it's one of my favorite New Testament books. Why? It's because it's like application, it's like Christianity applied. It's like, how is it that we prove and we show the world that we really truly believe in Jesus and we truly um, believe what it is that we read is because we put it in action. And so when we talk about genuine faith, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it means, first and foremost, as James says here, is that we show no partiality to people. There's a good possibility James is drawing on Leviticus chapter 19, Verse 15, where it says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. He continues in verse 18. It says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So, how is it that we love our neighbor as ourselves? is we show no partiality. We don't show any favoritism. In verse 2, James continues. He says, for, for this indicating that James is giving an example of what it means um, by showing partiality, again, he says, if this hypothetical situation, if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing comes in, what do you do? And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and says, you sit here in a good place, with a poor man, you stand over here and you sit down at your feet. You have not have you not made then a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I think we've all been there at some point. This feels like a lot like middle school to me. Right? How many of y'all loved middle school? Let's be honest with one another. Middle school was tough. Everybody's trying to figure out who they are and realizing who they're not, really. Is I think what middle school is all about. It's one of those moments in life that the Lord uses middle school and the teenage years to kind of just humble you, and you realize that you're not God's gift to everybody in in middle school. And so I think this is a lot like middle school, where you walk through uh, kind of middle school life and you realize that there's a lot of partiality and favoritism in middle school. It's everywhere. It's going into the lunchroom, and you're trying to find a place. Maybe you're new to to a place, and you're trying to figure out where you're going to sit, you know, and it's this whole seats taken type of a thing. You can't sit here. You're just trying to figure out where you're going because there's already these cliques that have been made and friendships that have been formed, and it's hard to break into those. Why? Because there is favoritism and partiality that have been in there, that have been established at this particular point. If you've got any sneakerheads in here? If you don't know what that is, there's people who really like shoes uh, these days. Sneakerheads. It'd be, it's no different than, than when you see somebody, um, you know, you, you're, you're playing favorites based on what shoes they're wearing. If they're wearing Jordans or whether they're wearing Shacks, right? Jordans, you've got to spend a lot of money on Shacks You can pick up a Walmart, right? And so you're sitting there and you're looking and you're basing your judgments on people based on what it is that they're wearing. Maybe that's something like designer versus Wholesale stores, right? Whether that is Kate Spade or fake Spade, right? Like, whatever it is, long-haired versus short-haired, tattooed or pierced. Like, we automatically make judgments on people by the way that they look. Why? It's because we have sin in our life, and that's just how life is, like, for us now. And so we have to battle that sin in our life because we are to show no partiality. And so, when we see one another in the church, we show no partiality. When we see people outside these walls, we show no favoritism. Because James says in verse 3 if you pay attention, again, this is the plural. This is if you, church, brethren, if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place. We're being partial. What we basically say is that one person is better than another person. We make distinctions. As he, as, uh, he says in, in, in James, chapter, or James 2, 4, he says, have you not... Have you not then made distinctions among yourself? Because we treat the poor man as less than both the rich man and ourselves when we treat people according to what it is that they look like and what they wear. We value the rich but not the poor. It it basically tells somebody what they're worth. What is your worth? Well, you're not worthy enough to sit here but you can stand or you can't sit here but you can sit at my feet now i've got boys at my house i've got a lot of boys at my house i got three boys at my house and if there's something that happens at my house that nobody really likes is feet at my house and maybe you've been there you've kind of gone through it you've had athletes that have come through or whatever and you've been around it at least enough to know that uh There's something that happens when you become an athlete. And uh, sweat and cooped up inside a shoe is not great. Now, just think about this. Back in the day when Jesus is um, walking around, and in in this case when James is walking around, they don't have shoes like we have today. They're walking around in sandals. And so you sit at a table or you sit at some place Um, in in a meeting space or whatever, and you're telling somebody who looks differently than you, acts differently than you, smells differently than you to come, and the only place that you have for them is to sit at your feet. It would be no different than me asking you to come to my house and sitting next to the shoes that were worn at football practice and a football game the day before. It is not a sign of respect to have them sit there, but it was a sign, and it was telling them that you are not good enough to have this seat, the only place that I have for you, is at my feet, where it's dirty, and it's messy, and it's nasty. It says that we value these certain people, but we don't value these certain people. Then he says that what we've done is we have judged with evil thoughts. These making distinctions between people or showing preferences is evil inside of the Lord and has no place here in the body of Christ to live according to the gospel, to live a life that matches the faith we claim. We cannot show partiality regarding people. This is summed up in a great documentary. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Um, about a, It follows a young boy uh, by the name of Forrest Gump. And Forrest Gump, you remember, uh, at the beginning of the movie, when, he's, when the, the leaf or whatever it was that was flying around, and you follow following the credits or whatever, and it lands. And then all of a sudden, Tom Hanks' character is sitting there on the park bench, and then somebody comes and sits next to him. And they sit as far away as they particularly could because there's this strange dude who's sitting there talking about a box of chocolates. And the lady is kind of like, what's going on? He begins to tell his story. And then you get early Forrest Gump, and what happens? He's got braces on his legs. He's a little bit weird, a little bit odd. And he gets on the bus to go to school. And as he's, man, that's like the awkward, first of all, riding a bus is awkward, right? Like it's a little bit weird anyway. But then you got to get on the bus and you got to find a seat. We've all been there. We've all tried to find a seat. And as he looks at every single place, even though there was a seat that was open, over and over and over again, he heard what? Seats taken, right? Why was that seat taken? It wasn't because there was somebody sitting there or there was going to be somebody sitting there. It was because they had automatically made this judgment of who he is based on his appearance. One of the biggest issues before us in this day, um, and we've seen it um, from the history of the world, but we see it um, today I mean even more so in the last several years, we see this 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 um, I don't know, this this highlight upon a racism in our in our country. And when we sit there and we make distinctions between people solely upon external things, the color of their skin. It's an effect that's happened all throughout history since man was Um, placed on this earth and God created, like all of that stuff, I mean, the history of the world, until Jesus comes back, we're gonna deal with it. It's something we have to deal with. But when we sit there and we say, listen, we're not gonna like somebody or we're gonna discriminate against somebody because of the color, color of their skin or how they look. You don't have to be black. You can be white. You can be Cuban. You can be Asian. That's a Will Smith song, by the way, if you wanna look that up. All those different things. It doesn't matter what you look like. If we are discriminating somebody based on the color of their skin, we are not doing and not being a church of genuine faith because God sees all human beings as made in his image whether you're rich whether you're poor whether you're black regardless of what ethnic group you toss in there every one of us is created in God's image and so for us to show favoritism to one all racism is is showing favoritism to one group of people more than another. It's just the extreme of it. And so when we sit there and we think about how we treat people and how we love people, and we want to love people well, to to love people the way that God has called us to love people, we cannot discriminate because of the way in which someone looks. Because they are, in fact, created in God's image. So if we have a genuine faith, we're going to see people the way God sees them. We won't discriminate based on externals. But we also, we will see the hypocrisy of discrimination. In verse 5, James here writes, he says, listen, this is an imperative. This is like when you're snapping your fingers at your kids and you're saying, I need you to listen to me. Don't hear me. Don't just hear me because my kids hear me a lot, right? They hear me all the time when I'm saying, we need the dishes done, you know, and then they hear me the fourth time, dishes done. And then finally, I've got to get up almost in their face and shug them and just say, "What? I need you to listen to me. This is when Jesus says, he who has an ear to hear, let them hear. This isn't just like, oh, what's going in and out? Like, no, it is listen to the words that, I'm, that are coming out of my mouth. Some of y'all just thought about rush hour. I know you. It's an imperative. It's an imperative. He says, listen to me. I'm about ready to tell you something. And then he says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Has not. There's a bit of sarcasm in here. This is when I tell my kids, Have I not told you to do the dishes? This is the 15th time. The next time's not going to be fun. We're going to do it together. And this is going to be a lot of fun. Right? This is the idea. It's a tad bit of sarcasm here. Because he's saying, Have Has not God, has not God, has he not chosen the poor to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? The poor, they're materially poor, but James here is pointing out the fact that God has chosen the material poor to be rich in faith. And we, are, we would be <laughs> discriminating against people that look different than us. In this case, he's using the example of poor. We are discriminating against people. God has called to himself. To himself. People created in the very image of God. It says says, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? He continues in verse 6, but you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich ones the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Isn't it funny how we can be, we can, we can talk, we can dog somebody outside these walls and whoever, I mean, we can just, we can hate them, almost cuss them because of the way that they, they've either treated us, but because they have an elevated status in the world, they step through the doors and all of a sudden the world changes and you, we kind of elevate them because of who they are. When I was serving in uh, Owensboro, First Baptist Owensboro, um, one of the coolest things happened uh, when I was there. Um, I got to uh, say that. I'm going to say it, and you're going to be like, that's a terrible thing to think is cool. Um, So um, we had a a former senator um, um, from Kentucky who, um, Senator Ford, was a member of First Baptist uh, Owensboro. And so when Senator Ford passed away, they had his funeral at First Baptist Owensboro. It was the coolest day in the world you're talking they shut the whole place down like within city blocks they had uh, six city blocks that were shut down um that we had to go through um, metal detectors to get into work on the day of his funeral they searched all of our bags it was pretty cool but then i found out i was a prisoner in my office trying to work because i couldn't go anywhere because they had they had policemen down the hallways on every hallway to make sure that nobody came in why is because the current, the sitting vice president of the United States and a former president were flying in to be a part of the service. Both of those men spoke from the platform at First Baptist uh, Owensboro. It was like the the coolest moment in the world. And I'm grateful to have served and and the pastor I served under was, 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 a, was great, and he had the opportunity to, to, to be on the platform with those, those two men, and it was a great opportunity for him to share the gospel with, with a sitting vice president and a former president of the United States. Like, how, who gets that opportunity outside of Billy Graham, right, back in the day? Like, you don't have those opportunities. But one of the things I loved about my pastor, his name was Paul Strahan. Paul Strahan, um, he treated everybody like they were just everybody, It didn't matter. He could have treated those two men as an elevated status because of who these men were in the eyes of the world. But my pastor sat there and he treated them like a man. Like they were just men because they put their pants on the same way that he put his pants on. Like they're just dudes. And he did not elevate them. Why? Because he looked at them and he saw both of these men as men who were created in God's image regardless of what they had achieved in life. He treated those men with respect because he saw them in the image of God. The same guy who did that was the same guy who every Thursday would sit down um, with people who would come in for benevolence. That, that funeral happened on a Tuesday. And on Thursday, that same man who had been with these two great men have achieved so much success, was the same guy who was sitting down and praying with people who were coming in who couldn't afford their light bill. It was the same man. Because why did he do that? Because he saw everybody. He saw everybody as created in God's image and he did not discriminate against the poor because they had nothing to offer. Because when we do that, we dishonor the poor man and we elevate the rich. And he says, I mean, you guys are elevating people who have, who have defamed and cussed the name of Jesus outside these walls, and they walk in to your group, and we elevate them because of who they are. And James says, that's not genuine faith. That is not genuine faith. And it's meant within this analogy to show the hypocrisy of discrimination. So if we see people the way that God sees them, we will treat people as if they're in God's image. but we also treat others with the same mercy that we desire. Verse eight. James Wright, again, it's a conditional. he says, "If, if you, plural, if you show partiality I'm sorry, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you really fulfill the royal law, what does he say in the royal law is? Well, he tells us right after that, you know, according to the scripture, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This if is a conditional action. If it is something that you are going to do, if you're going to have genuine faith, then what does he say? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you've been a Christian any time at all and sat in a church service any time at all, if you're not a believer here this morning this should be easy for you to connect some dots with what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 22 in verse 37 through 40 he says that we are to love the lord your god with all of your soul and with all of your mind this is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it to do what to love your neighbor as yourself and all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands so we treat people we treat others with the same mercy that we desire He says that we are to love like we love others like we love ourselves. We want to treat others like we treat ourselves. Continues in verse 9. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor, by a violator, of the law. If we show partiality, we show partiality, we are committing sin and we are convicted by the law. He goes on to continue um, to to make his point here in verse 10. He says, for whoever keeps the law but fails one point has become guilty of it all. Again, four. this gives this explanation for the claim that the one who does not love his neighbor or show partiality is a lawbreaker is a lawbreaker. If you show partiality, you are a lawbreaker. Well, which law? It's the law in which Jesus lived by, the law in which we as believers live by. He said all of it, Jesus said all of this law that you talk about, all these Pharisees talk about, it was all summed up in one thing, it's love God with everything you have and to love your neighbor. And so if we show partiality, we are not loving our neighbor, we are in fact hating our neighbor, which is not a, a testament to true, genuine faith, It is simply all talk and no walk. He says that if we are to break one point, we have been guilty of it all. If we have broken one law, we're guilty of it all. He says, he continues on in verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. But if you commit adultery, if you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have been a transgressor to the law. He says, just because you've done one thing, that means you're a lawbreaker. Just because you say, oh, I've never committed adultery, but that I have murdered somebody, you're a lawbreaker. Or vice versa. Oh, I've never murdered anybody, but I've committed adultery. We are still lawbreakers. wise, because we've not loved somebody as we have loved ourselves. If we've broken one of it, we have broken all of it. In verse 11, He's telling us that by, by using adultery and murder that James here has shown us the absurdity of even trying. The absurdity of trying to, to say breaking one of the part of the law is not that big of a deal as the other. But in all reality, when the, all this boils down to, it boils down to the fact that we are to love one another we love each other as we love ourselves. Verse verse 12 here. So speak and so act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. So he's concluding it. All of this, all the things that he said on how it is that we we should treat the poor, he, he comes to this conclusion, he says so. All of this stuff that I've just been talking about comes down to this, speak and act, this is, this is indicating an, a, a, a habitual action, it's something that we do out of habit, it's like brushing your teeth, right, when you were a kid, and I, listen, we struggled. this is my house too, um, how many times when you were a kid, or how many parents out there, have you had to tell your kids to brush your teeth, you know, when you give them one to brush your teeth, go to bed and I brush your teeth, you got something in your teeth, go brush your teeth. We do it all the time. Why? It's because we're trying to form a habit. We want, our, we want our kids, when they finally launch and they get out from underneath us, we don't have to call them every single day and go, hey, did you brush your teeth this morning? You know, I know you're a junior in college, but just want to let you know. You know, you know, like we want this habit formed. And so this speak and act is indicating habitual action. These should be things that are identifying actions of believers. So speak and And act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. In verse 13, James says, For judgment is without mercy. Now, the Greek here says, For the judgment. There's an article there, the judgment. Not just judgment, like judging others. We're talking about the judgment. This is end times, this is end of days. For the judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. There'll be no mercy in judgment if we have not shown mercy. If we've not shown compassion to people, there will be no compassion toward us. Because mercy or compassion triumphs over judgment. We see that. Throughout the pages of the New Testament with Jesus is that mercy trumps judgment we see that on the cross right because we have put our faith in Christ because of what he has done for us on the cross i.e. going to the cross dying for our sin taking the penalty that we deserve we will not receive judgment Christ already received the judgment on our behalf and because we will not receive that mercy. The reason why we won't receive the judgment is not because of anything that we've done, because Christ had compassion upon us. He had mercy upon us. So he says here that we are to, for the judgment is without mercy, that we are to have compassion on people, or we will not receive compassion. In judgment. So mercy is the opposite of showing partiality. It simply says that mercy, that showing mercy, if we do not show mercy, then there is no evidence that our life as believers has been changed. Nothing. There is nothing. There is no mercy, there is no compassion in favoritism. We should as believers, when we leave this room, when we stand up here in just a few minutes, and we we sing a song of worship, and we begin to make our way out, that when we treat each other differently because we have compassion with, uh, for one another, when we walk outside these walls and we go sit down at the Olive Garden, we're going to have compassion for the waitress or for the waiter. When you go home and your mom has made a meal, and maybe it's not that great of a meal that you're thrilled about, but it's there, it's Sunday supper, it's in the crock pot, and you go home, you will have compassion, you will treat your mom, your Dad, differently, because Christ treat, treats you differently. James here says that we are to call, that we are directly called to love our neighbor as, our, as, as ourselves and to show the same mercy to them that we have received in Christ. However, if we show partiality, if we discriminate against others, because of the way that they look, because of the way that they smell, because of the way that they act. We are violating the very law of God, and we are convicted by it. We are sinners. However, because we've been changed by God, we've been shown mercy. The gospel itself, the good news, what Jesus has done for us, it's a a level playing field. It levels the playing field. Because all of us in here, we are in need of the gospel. We are in need of mercy and of compassion. And so we sit here and we think that as we walk in that, that, that um, we tend to think that, you know, we don't need the gospel every single time we walk through the door. The gospel is just for salvation, but it's not. The gospel is the thing that continues to transform us every single week into the image of Jesus so it levels the playing field. It tells me first that I'm a sinner and second that I need a Savior. It's the very same thing that the gospel is the very same thing that I needed when I was 16 years old sitting at a Billy Graham crusade and he's in, 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 I don't know who was preaching or what was even being said but I remember that at that moment I needed the gospel and, and, and I was transformed forever by it. Why? Because I realized I was a sinner and that I was in need of a Savior. And if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I can tell you this with all certainty, is that you are in fact a sinner, as I am a sinner. And you are in need of a Savior. You're in need of a Savior. Church, we must live a life changed by grace and mercy that we've been shown. And let me tell you, there is no better time for us to be, to be a church who shows grace and mercy in a world than there is now, where there is no grace and there is no mercy in the world. And we could stand and we can, if, if we stand and we live for Jesus and we live a life that is merciful and compassionate toward people, we will stand out amongst everybody else. There's not a better time to do it than now. It is not hard to look like Jesus for people who want to live by His word, we will stand out. It's not an issue; you're going to stand out because, take a look around. The world does not live and doesn't desire or have a desire to live in which, in a way in which the Bible tells us how to live, and to stand out. No better time to stand out now. And how do we do that? We do that by loving one another. But maybe you're here today too, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. And a lot of the reason why is because you walk into churches just like this, into rooms just like this, and you've been discriminated against. For whatever reason, for the way that you look, for the way that you talk, churches have hurt, have, have caused hurt because of that. Well, that's not the way that God intended. That's not, the, that's not the plan God had. God's plan is that every single believer Loves as we would want to be loved. Because you are made in his image, just as I am made in his image. So you need to hear the truth today. If you're not here, you're not, if, if, if you're here today and you're be- and not a believer, you deserve to hear the truth that we, the rest of us in here who claim to be Christians, who claim Jesus, we are just as broken as you are. And we are just as in need of the grace of the gospel, the good news, as you are. And if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we want to give you that opportunity before you leave this place today, we want to give you the opportunity to come to faith in Christ. For us Christians in here as well, maybe this is a time for us to repent. Maybe there's something throughout, the, throughout your mind as we've, as we've been walking through James that where you sit there and say, I have not treated this person with love. Maybe it's time time for you to come and spend some time in prayer and repenting. But this is your opportunity. If you're here today and you've never come to faith in Christ, do not leave this place today without coming to faith in Christ. So let's pray together.